0: You are listening to The Limitless Podcast. I'm your host, Deanna Heron. What if you had no limitations keeping you from your dream life? In 2016, I had a major tug on my heart to write a book about my story. And in the process, I learned that I had been operating with a very faulty belief system for the majority of my life. I've had a huge transformation since then. And my life's passion and mission is to teach you how to live a limitless life. Join me on this journey. Let's get started. Welcome to the Limitless Podcast. This is Deanna Heron, your host. And as always, I'm super excited to be here with you on this Tuesday. So thank you so much for joining me. And again, I always want to honor you and your work that you are doing to become the greatest version of yourself, becoming that limitless leader. I want to remind you that my mission and passion is first to help you find your truth because I truly believe that a woman standing in her truth will be limitless in her impact. And that's truly what I have seen in my life, for sure. And I was just thinking, I'm about to have my 100th, 100 episodes of this podcast. And I was talking to a dear friend of mine, and I thought, I don't even want to go back and listen to number one, because the growth that has happened since that time, you guys. And I'm so proud of the work that you are doing. I'm so proud of the growth that you are doing on yourself, because when you work on yourself, you are able to impact many, many lives. And so thank you for doing that work, and thank you for being a part of this podcast. So today, I have an amazing guest with me. Right now, I'm doing a series on Forge Through Fire, really being refined through that fire and what that looks like. There's so often times when, as women, we look at these women who are successful, and we really don't think that there's ever been a fire. And I want to share with you some amazing women that I absolutely love and adore, And I have heard the stories of their fire, and I see who they are today. So I want to be of great value with you on sharing these amazing women. So Caroline, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I would love for you just to introduce yourself a little bit about your story. And yeah, we'll just dive into the interview.
1: Well, thank you so much, and congratulations on your 100th episode. That's quite an achievement. <laughs> um, so my name is Carolyn Blanchard, and wow, it's 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 always a difficult question introduce yourself. I'm a mom of three kids and three dogs and a cat, and right now I'm living a life that is full of freedom because I freed myself from addiction and from uh, anxiety and depression, and... Um, Yeah, in a nutshell, that's really what it is. (laughs) I love it. And we met,
0: we actually met through LinkedIn and Mm. yes, uh, Caroline reached out to me and she asked me to be a guest on her podcast and we met Mm -hmm. through that. And there are so many similarities that we have. It was like our souls totally needed to connect. And I'm so grateful for that connection that we have, but you are not telling the whole story because I know you are a best-selling author. Yes. A few times. A few times.
1: And you wrote the forward to one of my books.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: I would love for you to share what those books are to everyone so they can read well- them. Yeah, they're really in two different categories. So I'm, I'm, I did a few anthologies about powerful women in network marketing. I've been in network marketing for about ten years now. I absolutely love this industry, and I really wanted to, uh, you know, make it shine and show it for what it really is, and not just for what people think it is. So it's books that really educate about the industry, but also share. Uh, you know, each book has about 20 women. Cause the last one at 22, it was in 2022. Um, but it's really a top, top leaders that went to the top of their companies, sharing their journey, like how they got into network marketing, why they got into network marketing. And, uh, right there, there's quite a few different scenarios that, you know, you wouldn't expect. And, um, and also what was their journey, um, to the top, because, um, you know, it's not a straight line. It's never a straight line. It is a roller coaster. It is being an entrepreneur, but it's a different kind of entrepreneur. It's not a conventional one, uh, but it's, it's very challenging. Um, and, you know, a lot of people make it to the top. Well, 5% of everyone who's, you know, trying make it to the very top of their company. So that's what I wanted to show. I wanted to show that uh, break the taboos about this industry and also show that uh you know it is work and it is mm-hmm. a real business. It's just you have to treat it as a business and it changed the life of the lives of so many people I know. And uh so yeah, these powerful women share their three top secrets, <laughs> their three top tips mm-hmm. um that brought them to the top, basically. Um so yeah, it's it's book. That books that are inspiring and um, also educational for people in network marketing but also for people just to get to know the industry and it's through personal stories so for me that's what talks to me the most is it's when I can relate to a story Um, and then the other book that I published that uh, you wrote the forward to mm-hmm. is another kind of anthology. Uh, as I was doing the ones for powerful women, I'm a big proponent of uh, sobriety. Uh, I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery for almost 10 years. It's going to be 10 years in October this year. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know, I was just in bed one night and it just clicked that I needed to write a book on sobriety and have people share their stories, because again, you know, um, a lot of different people are going through it differently, and there's not one right way to uh, to go through recovery or to consider recovery or to. Uh, you know, I want to say try it because some people try it and fail a few times, but um, and end up being successful. So that's the stories that I wanted to bring. So, um, what's super interesting is that at first I didn't know exactly how many people would be in. I just approached some people that I really admired, and at some point we were eighteen, and um, and it's a very cathartic. Experience to write a chapter like that because you have to go back to also the years that were not that great, you know. And a lot of people in recovery are not necessarily proud of what happened in the past. So it was difficult chapters to write, but in the end, and at first it was supposed to be only women. But then I met this boy, I say boy because he's 25, but uh, he started his recovery when he was. Um, 19. And I thought, you know what? This is a generation that I need to show as well. So it ended up being a book of men and women. And we ended up being 12 six men six women and i promise i did not arrange that it just happened and you know the the number 12 is also really significant like if you think about the 12 steps not that i i followed them or whatever but it doesn't everything comes in anyway it just really the universe arranged everything perfectly and then i asked you to write the forward and you said yes
0: Yes, and I was so so honored to do that because that's another commonality that we have. We have a commonality in network marketing, and we have a commonality in sobriety. And I love that you share that in your book, everybody has a different story when it comes to sobriety. And I think that's something that is so misunderstood in society today, that people who have issues with alcohol it always looks the same and Mm. we're very different in how we abuse it and what we numb the things that we use alcohol to numb for and so I love how you shared that you know all of them have very unique stories and I'm sure that our stories are very unique and different as well
1: yes sorry And, and quite often like also people will think Um, You know, it's only people who come from trauma or abuse or from neglected family, families. And you will see in this book that it's not the case. Like some people in there had absolutely zero issues growing up and they had the perfect family. So um, you're right. We have a lot of judgments, but addiction doesn't discriminate. And it's for all ages, genders. Yeah, everyone. Exactly.
0: So I would love if you are willing. I would love for you to share your story of mm. of you know your addiction and um, just whatever you feel led. We would love to hear because you know I, I want women to see. Not everyone's going to ha- going to have an addiction with alcohol. Not everyone is going to have a struggle with alcohol, but we all struggle in some way, and just the fight through the struggle is the most amazing piece but I want women to really understand you know your struggle could be food your struggle could be gambling your struggle could be um, shopping your struggle could be something different but we all have one and there's a journey out of
1: that fire and so I would love to hear your story yeah and you know I like that you said that because addiction we always go to alcohol and drugs but there's so many different types of addictions. And um, you have to be careful and be aware of, you know, your actions because when you fall into any addictions, it's not healthy. Um, But in a nutshell, um, I had a good childhood. My parents divorced. I was nine months old. I was raised by my mom and my sister. Unfortunately, when I was five, I was sexually abused. And that, I think, really... um, through a spin in my life that I felt unworthy, um, I felt like my body was worth nothing, um, you know, I felt like I didn't belong here, so I grew up with this, um, this consistent feeling of not belonging anywhere, um, so looking for myself in any group that I would join at school, at you know, name it, everywhere, I always felt like I didn't belong there. Um, And that is, it took me years to find out, but it was really, it's ingrained in me and it's something that comes from, you know, much, much deeper than, than just addiction. So I had to work through that and I will talk a bit about that in a minute. But um, my defense mechanism was really to be funny. And, you know, I was always, my mom always called me so cute. And that's what I was referred to, like so cute, which for me was a curse because it also brought me abuse. So um, I, I struggled. I grew up in a duality of like being told, compliments. And for me, I didn't want to hear those compliments because those compliments had brought me some bad. And at the same time, I was trying to be, not trying, I think I am. I think that I am funny, but I, it was, I always made a point to use humor and make people laugh, even though I was so shy within. So it was always like a duality, almost like two people inside of me. Um, but I learned to wear a mask basically and and really dissociate from what was happening to me. Mm. Um, and you know, forty years ago, even a bit more, <laughs> you didn't talk about these things. Mm. Uh, and it was not in the open at all. So it was not something we would heard in school, here in school or whatever. So I learned to wear a mask and to always be like the sweet Caroline that would smile and be happy and um, no one ever realized that I had issues. And I started drinking, it was the first time I was 11, the first time that I got drunk. Um, It was at my aunt's wedding and my older siblings were giving me white wine thinking it was so funny because I was funny. Clearly I was getting drunk, so. But I did discover a feeling in there that I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, for those few hours, I didn't feel, I was numb, and it was something new for me, because as far as I could remember, it was hurting inside. Um, So it's a feeling that I started chasing, and although I had a really good mom that looked after me, I was really, really good at hiding stuff and telling stories, and uh, so I started drinking on my own I was 12. Um, you know, I wasn't regular at first, it wasn't like every day, but it was every single time an opportunity would, would arise, I would. And that brought me to have like, to be the funniest one, the wildest one, because I was partying young. And then I become the, I became the party girl that was invited to all parties and I closed all parties. (laughs) But, um, you know, it was always seen as fun, but inside of me, I was really hiding, like all the pain that there was. I was only feeling good when I was drunk because I was numb. And unfortunately, you know, when you're, I will say teenagers, like 16, 17, 18, it's cool to party actually. And um, so you're almost encouraged to do it instead of being told how damaging it is for your brain and for your mental health and all of this. So I think that you know, in the meantime, I just kept on going into a very mild depression. Mm-hmm. But I was so good at wearing my mask and achieving, like in school, I was super good. I got into the schools that I wanted to. I always achieved what I uh, you know, what I, I wanted to achieve. Then when I started my working career, I always really thrived and I had big positions and it was going well. And then when I became a mom, You know, I was really involved in my kids' school, so I was a volunteer for hockey, soccer, school, this, that, and I had a big position. So I, you know, people saw me a bit like a superwoman on the outside. And, you know, I was uh, married, had the dogs, rescues, almost like looked like the perfect life on the outside. But on the inside, everything was crumbling. I feel like it was a, a big house of cards that I built when I was young, and I just watched it crumble year after year after year. And you get to a point where the only thing you know to do is, you know, if I talk to my um, doctor, she was like, well, let's prescribe you Mm antidepressants. And I was like, well, I don't want to take pills. I'm against pills. So instead, I was drinking, which is not better, by the way, Um, you know, and I hear that quite often, like, oh, I don't want to take medication, but then people self-medicate. And yeah, that was my term, my perfect term. I self-medicated for all those years um, to the point where uh, my dad passed and it was for me, it was a traumatic event and I had a hard time um, dealing with it. So I had a hard time sleeping, and I went to see my doctor, and she prescribed me sleeping pills. And, you know, it's legal. So it's legal, it's prescribed from your doctor. So I thought everything was safe, and I didn't even Google it. I didn't do my research, and that's on me. But it was addictive. And, uh, you know, afterwards, when I did my research, it was like, don't take that more than two to three weeks. It's addictive. I took them for a year and a half. And at the end, like, I had... To take three to four sleeping pills a night to sleep. So um one day, I don't know what happened. I had no intention to to die, because I adore my kids and plus I'm a bit of a control freak. So if ever that was my plan, you know, everything would be set <laughs> before I go. But I just thought, you know, I'm gonna take one extra sleeping pill because I really need to just numb it a bit because I was in, in... My pain was so sharp that day. I had a hard time breathing. My anxiety was at it was its all super high. I was the a production manager for a big organization, and I just... At 12, I couldn't take it anymore, and I said, I'll go home. Um, and... Yeah, I just took a pill and then another one, and then I started drinking with it and then forgot, did I take one or did I not take one? So I took another one. Long story short, I took the whole bottle and ended up having a big overdose and, uh, you know, being in the ICU, which uh, for me, that was probably, you know, my big moment of it's time to do something. But I have to say that before that happened, I knew I had a drinking problem and I did reach out to a rehab, but because I was so, you know, when she was asking me, what are your problems? I could explain them very logically And I could tell her, uh, you know, yes, sometimes I have dark ideas or sometimes I'm sick of it and I don't want to keep on going. But I was so poised and calm and logical in in my conversation with her that she put me as not a a threat to herself. So I went on the waiting list. um, And I was on the waiting list for six months. But And the thing is also people around me, I would say no I'm drinking too much and everyone would tell me no Carolyn you don't have a problem you're doing fine like look at your life everything's great because I never missed deadlines I never you know miss my responsibilities or whatever I was never drunk I was never the the drunk one that you're like oh my gosh there she is again you know I was a very high functioning alcoholic so no one could see that I had a problem plus Quite often, when you have an addiction, you'll surround you'll surround yourself with people who support that addiction, and quite often who have this a similar behavior. So clearly, when you talk to those people too and say, "I drink too much," they're like, "No, no, 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 you're fine." because they want They don't want to lose their drinking buddy. Um, so yeah, that's uh, so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I can feel that so much. Oh, so much.
0: We have. Again, similar stories in that, mm. yeah, eleven years old i was mm. I was twelve, so very, very young and the the, the experience, the feeling that you say you felt, um, I just remember feeling happy. yeah, just feeling happy like and, and it is what exactly what you said. I don't have to feel. I don't have to think about anything else. I just, I just felt happy. Mm -hmm. So, um, in that defining moment for you, what, what was it that you did to really dive into the healing piece of your story?
1: Well, to be honest, it's not in that defining moment that uh, I did it because when my husband brought me to the hospital, which was a very normal thing to do, I was not overdosing, I was mad at him. I was furious. And I was so furious that he gave like the six sleeping pills that I had left to the ambulance. Um, so when I came back home, I was, it was almost out of revenge. I wanted to drink again which I did and then I realized you know what doesn't make sense so and actually the universe really worked well a few days after no two or three weeks after the rehab center called me and um, they said we have a place but it's a uh, outpatient so it was during the day So it was 9 to 3 every day. I had to go back and forth, which for me was the ideal because I didn't want to leave my kids. Mm -hmm. So I would drop them off at school, go to my rehab, pick them up from school. So it, it really worked out perfectly. And I have to say that when I walked in there, I was walking, thinking okay, I'm going to do it because I need to do it, because clearly that's where I am now. But I'm clearly not as messed up as everyone there. And um, I don't need help as much. You know, I still have a good life, but I'll go. I'll, I'll show that I'm making a point to be better. Um, and then when I got there, you know, there was one cardiologist cardiologist. There was one guy who came with his big car. I don't even remember the brand, but it's like he was a millionaire. There was a stay-at-home mom on welfare. There was an old press singer. There was like such a wide variety. And for me, what the person who struck me the most was a cardiologist and hearing his story and thinking this guy is doing open-heart surgeries. <laughs> you know, when you think about that. So I was like, wow, he has a problem. But it's, it's, by listening to the stories of everyone that at some point, you know, when you feel like you relate so much, one person says something and you relate and the other person says something and you relate to that too, but you realize you don't have the same life as them as, at all. So it made me realize it, it was a condition. It was not according to what I had or didn't have in life. It was according to a disease that I had. And, you know, that too, I'm, I'm kind of, um, there's different school of thoughts about calling that a disease. I do think it is because at some point it's stronger than you and it's it's visceral. It's like, it's something that no matter how logical you are, it is stronger than you. I tried moderating for so many years before and it worked at some point, but My obsession was still, you know, I would take only a glass of wine and leave the bottle on on the counter and go to bed. But in bed, I would be thinking about my bottle of wine. (laughs) So, and I wouldn't go downstairs because I would never do that. Get up in the middle of the night and have, you know, a sip of wine because that would be having an issue. But I can say that I was almost dreaming about my bottle of wine. And the minute that five hit the next day, I was having another glass of wine. So moderation for me was extremely difficult, but it didn't solve the, the issue that I had. It just put a, a Band-Aid on it about like that. I could control it, but, um, you know, I could only control the physical part of not drinking, but my mind was far from controlling it.
0: Yeah, and that's that's actually you know from the work that I do that's where it all starts. So it starts with a thought. And the thought is reenacted through our beliefs through our emotions, through our feelings, and then the circumstance, right? So it's the moment that we give anything outside of our self is the moment we become disempowered. And that's what happens with with alcohol or any other addiction, whether, you know, like we talked about food, shopping, (laughs) whatever that is, the way that we numb what's going on in the inside. And I love how you talked about the mask. Because it, it is, we wear a mask that everything is okay. I don't want anyone, nobody else has this, insecurity inside I'm the only one I'm alone right that's what what
1: we believe and yeah the mask is sorry I was going to say you know now that you're asking me my defining moment I always say that it's my overdose but I think that my real defining moment is when I stopped I did the rehab thing Mm -hmm. and everything I stopped drinking for 16 months but I was going out I was trying to be normal But I would never say, like, I have a drinking problem, or I'm in recovery, or I'm sober. I would say that I was on antibiotics, I was too tired, I was training. Uh, If they wanted to think that I was pregnant, go for it. You know, anything to, to justify the fact that I was not drinking, but I wasn't assuming myself. And then after 16 months, I saw a friend that I hadn't seen for 20 years. And he offered me a glass of wine for you know, half the evening until I, and he could not believe that I was not drinking because I was a red wine lover, especially with, you know, meat. So anyway, at some point in my mind, I was just like, I got this. I'm strong. Like I haven't touched anything for 16 months. I got this. I, you know, I can do it. And I had two glasses of wine and the only thing that I could think of the whole time is like how fast the wine was going down. Could we order another bottle after? Like, I, I was not into the conversation anymore. Like, my mind was just thinking about the, the alcohol. And then I left there, and um, the whole week I was so mad at myself that I broke my date My all this time for two glasses of wine and for this silly person. So I was just like, no, you know what? If I choose to stop drinking... And if I did relapse, I will have done it for a reason. So I went to buy myself like my favorite wine, wines, I will put an S there, favorite liquor. And I sat in my room for a whole day, literally 12 to 12, and drank everything. And in that moment, I thought it was a super good idea to go on Facebook and write a post. And uh, so my post was basically, it was starting with Hi, my name is Carolyn, and I am an alcoholic. So you need to keep in mind that absolutely no one knew nothing. (laughs) So my post started this way and it was just like, please stop offering me alcohol. Just let me be. I want to be sober and if you don't want to stop, well, just get out of my life. Like it was half a funny post and half like really it, it, it was me not thinking through what I was writing. It was well-written, but clearly sober, I would have never posted that. And then at the end of the day, when I went to bed, um, you know, well, I went to bed and I kind of forgot. And the next morning I opened my phone and I had like hundreds of messages and I was just like, what's going on? And then when I started reading, it all came back. I'm like, I did send that post. Oh my God too late to take it back because all my close entourage knew now but the the messages I got there was so many messages about like oh my gosh I thought you had such a perfect life I never knew why didn't you say anything before we could have helped you or I'm going through the same thing or my husband is going through the same thing or my dad was like that and blah 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 I realized it's so much everywhere. And because of that post, I started assuming myself publicly. And it's then that I started becoming sober emotionally because before that I was not accepting it. I felt like I was a dry drunk. I felt like I was punished. They sat me in a corner and they told me, look at everyone living their life. Now you get to watch, (laughs) you know? But then after... um, I started welcoming um, help. I started joining sober communities. I stopped feeling like an alien. I I started to realize that sobriety can be cool. It can be sexy, and it can also be fun. And there is life after alcohol. Um, so that was my defining moment. I think was posting that <laughs> Facebook post. So beautiful.
0: But you know, it it was again. It was the duality that you talked about in the beginning. The duality of You are sober, but you would say I'm on antibiotics, right? And Mm -hmm. it's living that, that life that isn't true to our authentic self. And thank God you put that on Facebook, right? That's an incredible (laughs) story. Incredible story. I'm so grateful that um, social media was not that popular, or I wasn't involved in it when, when you know, during my drinking days, because that would have been a disaster, would I? Oh, <laughs> would I, I always have... say the same thing. Thank God there was no Facebook. <laughs> yes, yes. So you ha- have been very instrumental in helping a lot of other men and women through their recovery and just encouraging them. So kudos to you, because, you know, alcohol is the only drug out there that really is socially acceptable Mm -hmm. and it's absolutely yeah it's it's a travesty actually and so thank you for being a part of that community that just really puts it out there and and with the awareness of you know who we are and what we have been through and um you know it's going to help so many people So many people. So thank you for that. I would love for everyone to hear about what you're up to now, like Caroline 10 years ago versus Caroline today. What is
1: the gap? What is the difference? And what are you doing in your life today? Well, I have left uh, corporate. Um, I joined network marketing. And for me, that was my key to freedom. It was um, you know, adjusting my hours to what I could do. Because also there's a reality is that at the end I was um, you know, when someone calls someone a superwoman, it should not be viewed as a compliment. It should be viewed as a big red flag of someone running into the burnout. And unfortunately it's viewed as compliments for our society, you know, when we're like, oh I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm so busy. Um for me now, I don't see that anymore as a, wow, you're cool. I see that as, okay, well, do you need help? Because I can help you manage better. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, yeah, I, I entered network marketing. It really allowed me to manage my life better. And then I, when I was stronger... Um, emotionally and physically I started adding projects and now I just added a bunch of projects and I just keep on developing new projects I have well the books for powerful women I have the book on sobriety I'm also coaching on sobriety and just two weeks ago I launched a planner um, and a journal that really helps with sobriety, but that can be used even for people who are not sober. Uh, So it's really just sharing the little things that I do every day. But I have to say that the main thing that I did is personal development. And I started instilling like really routine in my life. Um, of reading books listening to podcasts um, hanging out virtually with people that I want to be like so some of them don't know me like Oprah has no idea how much time she spends (laughs) you know it's just like um, surrounding myself with way more positive uh, things and I also redefine my, my definition of success it used to be like be the CEO or be the top women or you know make that much money now for me success is having enough to be happy and um not feeling anxiety like every to this day i'm sitting sometimes and i'm like wow i'm not feeling anything which for me is huge because i always felt anxiety or fear or, you know, guilt or shame. Right. And just sitting there sometimes with nothing, I I appreciate it so much. So yeah, I'm developing my little projects. I guess my biggest thing is coaching people and helping people, um, you know, get through their life. There's there's not only addiction that is destructive, there's like wearing a mask as well, which I, I'm pro at. <laughs> um, but I think that All of that is related to accepting yourself and, um, you know, building your self-esteem and your self-worth because a lot, I'm not a specialist. I mean, I didn't do social studies and everything, but I, I, addiction is strongly related to wanting to belong and wanting to escape. You know, that too is a duality, but it's something that you wanted, wanting to escape your reality and belong somewhere else. But quite often you don't even know where. So I like to help people finding themselves. Um, like I was 40 and someone asked me, what's your purpose in life? And aside from saying, um, well, I was relating everything to my kids. Like my purpose is to help my kids succeed, to have my kids healthy, to both, but me as a woman, I had none. And when I realized, realized that I was pretty sad and it took me a few years to really determine what's my purpose. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my purpose is really to help people find their purpose and know that they're worth being here.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people too, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, is it's your biggest triumph plus your passions plus your talents equals your purpose. And so you have definitely stepped into that because as you have been refined by the fire, by your challenges that were brought to you while you are here on earth, now you can move forward and help so many men and women through that process. So thank you for doing the work that you do because it impacts millions, millions, not just the person. But also the person the people that are related to that person, right? And so thank you, because you've touched my heart in such a beautiful way. Justin, we've never even like hugged each other, but I can I just wanna give you a big virtual hug right now. Cause you're just such I a know, I know I when we meet mean face to face, we're well, just gonna go in a yes. five-minute hug. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you are amazing. Thank you so much. Can you let everybody know how they can get in touch with you? If um they want um, to work with you. Well I think that
1: the simplest is my website. It's called Simply Caroline.com. And that was really because I was looking for a very cool name and I couldn't find anything. So it ended up being Simply I love
0: it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And you've just filled my tank for sure. And I know there's so many other men and women that are going to enjoy your story. Thank
1: you so much for having me, diana
0: I'm honored to have you as part of the Limitless Community. If this podcast has added value to you, I'm gonna ask you to do two things for me. Number one, share it with your family and friends. And number two, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this podcast. Follow me on Instagram, at Deanna Heron. I always love hearing from you. If you would love more about what's happening in the Deanna Heron world, you can go to DeannaHeron.net, subscribe to my email list, or even be a part of my private Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.